Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here from scottsbaytessons.com and I'm actually sitting in my kitchen. Say hello, Lisa. Hello. Where are the kids, by the way, Lisa? They've gone AWOL. They've gone AWOL. Anyway, uh, yeah, we've just got out of a, a full week of recording with Gary Willis, so I've, um, I'm just spending a bit of time at home with the family because last week was so crazy. Anyway, so today we're catching up with Jimbo Hart, who's been busy touring with Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Jason Isbell is a Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter from Alabama who shot to fame with drive-by truckers in the early 2000s. Thank you for the uh, background noise, Lisa. <laughs> Uh, before his gig with that band, Jason had a publishing deal with Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals. Now, if you've seen the documentary all about Recall and the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, The Swampers, you'll know all about it. If you haven't seen that documentary, please, please, please go check it out. It's on Netflix. Now, Muscle Shoals has an incredible history with artists like the Rolling Stones, Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, Willie Nelson, Leonard Skinner, and Levin Helm as well, all recording at fame. In this podcast, Jimbo, who's also from Muscle Shoals, talks about the legacy of that studio, what it's like to record there, all about his gig with Jason Isbell, and how he became friends with another Jason, Jason Newstead from Metallica, and much more. Oh, we've got all the noise in the background. Hey, guys, do you want to say hello to uh, anybody on the podcast? That's my daughter. Do you want to say hello, Story? Yes, do you want to say hello? Yeah, both of you want to say hello. Okay, don't worry, podcast listeners, you're about to be handed over to Nick. Well, are you going to say hello, guys? Hello. And you, Story. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Winter. And what's your name? Sammy. Okay. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I'll hand you over to Nick and this week's guest, Jimbo Hart. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the SBL podcast. We've got Jimbo Hart with us today. Hey, Jimbo. Hey, how's it going? Going great, thanks. How are you? Uh, wonderful. Good. Wonderful. Man. You've been busy all touring. Yeah, it's been a it's been a, a, a quite a year for sure. Right, so tell us a bit about that. Who have you been out with? Um, well, let's see. Frank Turner was out with us for a while. Mm-hmm. And this last run over in the, the UK and, and all over Europe, Tiff Merritt was with us. And um, we've done some shows with John Prine and uh, a show with, uh, did a few shows with Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan. That was pretty rad. It's just been a crazy year, man. What, how do you find life on the road? It's a lot of fun, you know. It's um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's it's tiring at times and a lot of fun most times, and mm-hmm. you know, I guess I've, I've got the bug. What's what's the, the like the, your favorite thing about being out on stage? Uh, just playing the bass with my buddies, man. Um, you know, we try to get it better every day and, you know, just just playing the music, you know, and working the machines is a real blast. And, you know, watching people connect with things that, you know, Jason writes about and talks about and sings about in his songs is pretty, pretty cool, too. You know, kind of see reactions and whatnot. Yeah, I guess it's nice knowing. You never know who's watching, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> As we like to say, you never know when the guys from YouTube are going to show up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about Jason and, his, and the band and, and how do you describe the music? 
Uh, well, I mean, it's just songs, you know, and I guess as a, as a bass player, you kind of just kind of grab your gut with what the song speaks, speaks to you and, you know, go from there and sculpt away until, you know, not overstating the point, you know, so, but playing with the guys is great. Chad's an excellent drummer. Um, you know, he's, he's, he has his own kind of ways of doing things and it's pretty awesome. You know, and Sadler, of course, is an amazing guitar player and singer. And Derry, oh man, Derry's sort of our secret weapon, you know, as far as a keyboard player would go. He's, he's pretty amazing. And Amanda's a lot of fun to play with too. She always brings a certain kind of energy to the stage that, you know, none of us dudes can really bring. So, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. And how would you describe the role of the bass? Um, you know, sometimes its role is to be there, and sometimes its role is to not be there, depending on the song, you know. Um, sometimes Jason will have a particular approach that he might hear in his head, and, you know, sometimes he has no approach that he hears in his head, and it's kind of up to me, you know. And and it, it varies. It'll kind of change, you know, a little bit from... Like when we're recording, you know, from take to take, obviously things change a little bit and uh, kind of either, in the, I guess in the, in the best way, you know, maybe it might gain some focus every time we play it. And sometimes it kind of loses some focus every time you play it. You know? right. So it's, it's a different kind of thing every time and just hope to throw something at it that sticks and doesn't get in the way, you know, and still makes the drum sound cool and lets the guitars do their thing and the keys do their thing and doesn't step on the melody at all. You know, you kind of got to, I guess it's sort of a game of duck and weave, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hot potato and duck and weave. <laughs> right. You know? You're you're from uh, Muscle Shows, is that right, you guys? Yeah, yeah. Which Born has, and raised. has an incredible history when it comes to um, music. I'm thinking of the documentary I watched not so long ago on the, the Swampers and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And the documentary was really great, and I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But there's so much more of the history of the place that just never really even got talked about. Oh, know? really? Yeah, there's cats like Junior Lowe, you know, who played guitar, he played bass, he played a lot of stuff, and he worked with Rick Hall for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, I don't think he really got the credit that he deserved, you know, him and like Eddie Hinton. Mm -hmm. I mean, Eddie Hinton was an incredible, incredible talent, you know, and, and someone that most people have never even heard of, you know, but there's all sorts of cats like that who, you know, contributed huge things to the whole Muscle Shoals thing. You know, Junior Lowe was probably the funkiest bass player that's ever been, as far as I can think, you know, maybe... You know, there's different versions of the funk, but he was probably the first one to bring it and to soul and R&B, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's really great. Even now, like, you try to figure out the baseline on Land of a Thousand Dances, and it's like, you know, it might work to do it this way, but it might work to do it this way. And if you really think about it, it's it's sort of not really ever hitting the one anywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, right. It's really weird, you know, and it's just kind of this thing that Junior brought to the table, you know, and, is a different cat than everybody else. So how, how aware are the, the current musicians from the town of, of all that history? Oh, very aware. And I feel like it, it, um, it imparts its own sense of duty 
to bring mm-hmm. something, you know, to the table that can be appreciated. You know, and and the old guys that that lived there, I say the old guys, but you know, the swampers and the cats that, you know, came before all of us, you know, they're still around and they'll let you know if they like it or not. And if they like it, then it must be okay, you know. <laughs> and, you know, that's a that's a, a resource that, you know, took me a long time to really realize was there because you know you're born there and you live there and, and you know i grew up like a block away from muscle show sound the the little studio on jackson highway and i used to ride my bike by there all the time and i thought hey that's a studio i know they made music there cool you know and i'd keep riding my bike and then years later i figure out oh paul simon recorded there the staple singers recorded there Cher recorded there. The Rolling Stones recorded there. You know, I mean, like it just keeps. And there's still things that I find out all the time that are news to me. You know, (laughs) even being from there. But yeah, it does sort of impart this sort of sense of responsibility. And that was with all the changes in in technology, in recording Mm -hmm. technology, but also in the way that the bass is played now. There's a lot of new techniques and new approaches to the instrument. How is that sure. viewed by those guys? Is it kind of frowned upon or has it been embraced a little bit? You know, I think whatever it takes to get what you need out of the, the, the base, you know, the base has definitely taken on a broader sort of sense of what it is, you know, sense of identity, I guess, you know, you can use a keyboard, you can use a drum, you can use a reverb, even if you want to, you know, there's a lot of ways to establish low end. And, um, you know, I, th- I don't think that anybody's against anything as long as it's cool, you know. Um, I mean, I, I definitely think with with technology, there's been, a you know, this whole thing of, you know, you can comp things together, obviously. You know, you can punch in, punch out, whatever, you know, you can do all that. But if you approach it like a tape machine every time where you play it from the head and play it all the way down to the end of the song... I feel like you're still going to get a better performance if you mm-hmm. if you perform it, you know, obviously. And I think that mentality is kind of stuck, you know, in Muscle Shoals still. Like, you know, try not to punch if you don't have to, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I'm just as guilty as anybody of having to punch every now and then, you know. <laughs> it happens, you mess up, you know. And, you know, you have to go back and do it again or whatever, you know, but... Um, but yeah, everybody still tries to, you know, get it, you know, in, in one go. And, you know, like I said, whatever instrument that, you know, or approach is necessary to get it, by all means, you know, do the thing. <laughs> so why did you pick up the bass? What drew you to the you bass know, in particular? Well, my dad married a, a lady whose family was really musical and they got together on the weekends and played like Chuck Berry songs and, you know, Beatles songs and, you know, Grand Funk Railroad songs, just all the stuff that they liked, you know, and, and I was a little kid and I was sitting in the corner and my uncle Bob Berry, who's no longer with us, but he, he, um, played the bass and he had this big custom rig, you know, the big like, tuck and roll leather cab, you know, and, and it was huge and it took up the whole corner, you know, and, and it was so weird because I, I, I didn't understand, you know, when he would play, I couldn't really hear what he was playing, 
But as soon as he would stop playing, I would know something's wrong. Something ain't right. You know, there's no bass. What happened to the to the low end? And then he'd come back in and, and everything felt nice, you know. And then one night he he I was sitting next to his rig and uh he just said he just took he had a Gibson Ripper and he took it off. He was standing up and he took you know, took it off and handed it to me and he was like, Hold this, I gotta go get a beer and <laughs> take a whiz, you know. So um I put the thing on my lap and turned the volume knob up and just touched the E string and that was all it took. You know, just that you know, like, whoa, this is awesome and I don't know, something about it, just the balance of it, everything just felt right to me. So I gravitated towards it and never really let up on it, I guess, <laughs> you know? I mean, some days I, I let up on it. I don't do anything, but, <laughs> um, yeah. And what happened next? In your kind Marching of band, Marching high school band. Right, right. Uh, high school band was a big deal, for sure. And what kind of bass players influenced you? Oh, man. Um, probably the first I can think of would be James Jamerson. Right. You know, my, my dad was really into Motown music when I was a kid. And I just remember him telling me all the time, you know, listen to that bass. That's cool. That's cool. You know, he's getting it. You know, I didn't really ever think about it. And then I guess that sort of trained my ear in that direction, you know, when I was really small. And I just always sort of gravitated to the sound of it because in 60s music and some degree 70s and even 80s music, the bass pretty much drove the car, you know, I mean, Motown and any kind of funk or disco or any kind of dance music, it's bass and drums, you know, it's pretty much driving the train. And, you know, I just sort of gravitated to that sort of space, I guess. And where would you say you're at now? What, who, who are you checking out? Are you still kind of oh, man. and Jameson? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I still love listening to, to Jameson. I listen to them all the time. And, and of course, music from the Shoals. You know, David Hood is, is a huge influence just because, I mean, hell, he played on half the records anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, there's just much that, that music that I really enjoy. The staple singers be you know uh, what is it is it be altitude the one with respect yourself and I'll take you there and all that stuff on it and mm -hmm. Jesus Christ superstar it's just a really great record you know so I still groove on David Hood and I listen to a lot of James Brown and uh, Charles Mingus and John Coltrane I listen to all kinds of stuff man all kinds. What bass do you play right now? Um, well, right now, uh, I have this Sadowski that my friend Jason Newstead gave me, mm -hmm. and it kind of blows my mind that I can actually say those words, my friend Jason Newstead. That's pretty cool. Sadowski. Because yeah. what the fuck, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's part of my French. I mean, when I was 12, the only thing I wanted for Christmas was the box set, you know, the live box set that Metallica put out, and my mom was cool enough to buy it for me. And just let me wear it out, you know. It had the VCR, the you know the VHS version, and I just wore it out. And then, you know, he he came to a show and kind of made friends with us. And then, you know, months later, he gives me this Sadowski, and I have it right here. I'm gonna take a look at it. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Transparent black flame top with uh, 
the preamp, and then the, the block inlays are, are black mother of pearl and flamed maple fingerboard. It's really, really light, too. I mean, it's like nothing. Um, I think it's chambered, but it's pretty crazy. It has a really wonderful mid-range that's, that's just kind of unstoppable. You know, I mean, you can you can really do a lot of stuff on that bass. It's, the tonal range is pretty incredible. The preamp's really nice, too. And was that one that Jason had in his personal collection? Yeah, yeah. He, he came to the, to the show in L.A., and he pulled me aside, and he was like, man, I've come to a few shows, and I can't really sit still, so I go to all these spots in the room, and I listen to what's going on. And uh, I love what you do, but when you're in the first position and you're grooving with the drums, you kind of lose definition. And then he opens, then he pulls this case out from behind our wardrobe case, and he goes, "This will fix that." <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell, man?" You know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he, he sent this bass with me, and he's like, "Yeah, take it, beat on it, do whatever you want, man. Love it, see what it does. You know, if it doesn't work and you don't want it, let me know." If you do, if you like it, love it, keep it, you know, whatever. So, What were you yeah. playing before that? Well, I've been using old Fenders for a long time, and I still love them, and I still have them all. And, and obviously, when we go to record again, that'll probably be the, the things that we use, you know. Um, but my favorite bass is a 70 um, P bass that has a, a copper pick guard on it. It's a Sunburst. Um, it's a rosewood board. And... Uh, I recorded most of, if not all of, Here We Rest with that bass. And then it got stolen in Texas. Our van and trailer got stolen. And that bass got stolen. And then a couple of years later, my manager calls and, are you sitting down? Yeah. Good. We found your bass. And I was like, whoa. So I got that back. Thank God. I don't know how I got that back. Yeah, it got, it got stolen in Texas. And the mesquite... Texas Police Department found it and got it back to me, and um, I used it on pretty much all of something more than free and um, part of the Nashville sound. I didn't use it on the whole thing, but um, yeah, I got, a, got. I still have a handful of fenders that I really, really love, and I don't think they're going to go anywhere, you know, sure. anytime soon. Just the Sadowski is is really convenient for the road. It's um, it's a great road bass. It just it always sounds great, and you know, it, if the room's a little lively, I can kind of tame it a little bit, you know, and and whatnot. And yeah, it's just a great instrument. It's really great. Where do you record? Oh, uh, what do you mean? In a studio. Like the studio. Yeah, which studios do you use? Um, well, for the Nashville Sound, we were at RCA Studio A mm-hmm. in Nashville. And um, something more than free, we primarily did most of it at um, the Sound Emporium in Nashville. And we recorded at Fame um, several times, a lot of times. Um, there's a studio in Sheffield um, called the Nut House in, in Sheffield, Alabama. Um, we recorded there a few times. Do you think recording in, in such iconic studios like that, that pays a big plays a big part in the session itself? Well, sure. Yeah, you know, you're in this place. You're in this, this these places where there's been magic made, you know, and you don't really want to... There's ghosts in those buildings, you know. And, and if, you're, if you're sensitive to that kind of 
thing definitely bring your A game, you know. I, I do remember at one point this last record we're in RCA that kind of thing. So yeah, it comes into play sometimes. Definitely. What did you have coming up next? Where are you guys off to? Oh, uh, we've got a tour in Australia. We've got a few shows coming up. And looks like we'll be going back over to Europe in the summertime. So lots going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's some some you know, some things here and there between all that kind of stuff too. Basically, I was asking if the history of a studio, how big a part that plays on the session. Yeah, it it, it definitely imparts a vibe, you know. Um, like in, in at Fame, for instance, you just never know when Mr. Hall is going to be in the building. Wow, that's incredible, know? yeah. And... Um, if he's there, if he likes what he hears through the walls or whatever, he might come down and hang out with you. And if he does, he's probably going to tell you if he likes it or not, you know, and what he likes about it or not. And um, you can either learn from that or you can take it however you want it. You know? it and it takes a while to get to where you can learn from something like that. You know, mm-hmm. First, you're just like, ah, whatever, you know, and then you figure out that, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about and I'm just a dumb kid, you know, so, but yeah, different, different studios definitely, definitely sort of pull it out of you, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't wanna, and it's expensive too, you know, the, the nicer the studio is, the more expensive it is, so you don't want to waste your time. Sure, sure. Okay. All right, man, I'm going to leave you to it now, buddy, but thanks again for hooking up with us. Yeah, anytime, anytime. And we will put the notes down. Enjoy that bass from Jason. That looks really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to now, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. Um, What an awesome interview. And again, make sure you check out the documentary about Muscle Shoals, if you haven't already. It is on Netflix. Well, it is is over here in the UK. And my, my... knowledge of netflix is i think you guys over in the states actually get more stuff than we do so it'll probably be on there okay so i'm going to shoot off guys i've got um some family shenanigans to get on with and also some uh super ninja um secret top secret sbl stuff as well that we're working on it's all coming uh, in 2018 there's some really cool stuff then also while i've got you as well i should say that we're actually releasing a course next month which is december into the course library within the academy from the one and only Adam Neely. I know a lot of you guys will follow him already on YouTube. I know there's a lot of excitement about it already. So it's going to be a really, really good one. Um, And it is very Adam. It's like bass mixed with science. Um, I I was obviously there when he was recording it. So uh, I think it's going to be fun. Anyway, take it easy, guys. And uh, I'll see you in the shed. Bye. (laughs) 